0: Let's get ready to roll. Lead Like a Lady features amazing women at the top of their game, who know what it's like to be the only woman in the room. They're here to share their stories, inspire greatness, and provide advice to all the women coming up behind them. Now, here's your host, Army veteran and retired FBI Assistant Special Agent in Charge, Gina L. Osborne. Welcome to the first episode of Lead Like a Lady. You know, I don't consider myself an expert at many things. I'm more of a jack-of-all-trades type of gal. But one thing I do know about is navigating and finding success in male-dominated work environments. And I also know a lot of fascinating women who have done the same. On each episode of Lead Like a Lady, I'll introduce you to one of those women She'll inspire you through her story, and she'll share wisdom she learned along the way. Whether you're a woman or a man just starting out or have made it to the top yourself, you'll benefit from listening to these courageous women who paved the way and learned from both their accomplishments and their failures. I chose our first guest because she epitomizes the leader I want to introduce you to on this podcast. She's strong yet humble. She's fearless. She's fearless but also has the courage to allow herself to be vulnerable. Sonia Chavez is the United States Marshal for the state of New Mexico, the United States Marshal. Before that, she was an FBI agent for over 20 years, coming in at a time where only 14% of all of the special agents in the FBI were women. On today's show, she will emphasize the importance of communication, surrounding yourself, with a support network, and knowing your people, their strengths and weaknesses, so you can find out how best they contribute to your team. So sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired. Welcome to the show, Sonia. Thank you, Gina. I'm happy to be with you. A lot of people don't know this, but the FBI is a second career for people, and the average age going through the academy is 31 years old. I remember the day we met, It was at the FBI Academy, and you and I were in the same class in 1996, 96-12, and on the first day of class, the FBI will assemble the entire class, and everybody gets up, and they start talking about themselves, and we're absolutely blown away because you've got these people who have these amazing backgrounds, and I remember when you stood up, and I just thought to myself, she is so articulate and poised and lovely, and you were talking about how you were a journalist before you came into the FBI, and I was just blown away by you. So tell me, how did you go from being a journalist to getting into law enforcement?
1: I remember that day, Gina, and, and hearing um, your reaction to me describing my career at that point it makes me laugh because at the time, as you recall, I'm sure so clearly, we were all so nervous Excited, but very nervous to be there. So how I ended up at the FBI Academy is really, I think, a matter of coincidence or circumstance, because it certainly was not a career that I planned. And I've told the story many times over the years about we have to work to prepare ourselves, even though we don't always know where we're going to end up. So my my path to the FBI, as you noted, I started my career in journalism as a young girl growing up in a really small rural town in New Mexico. I was enamored by the New Mexico State Police, and I think that came from family friends. I grew up at a time where families used to have dinner with neighbors and friends on Sundays, and we would do that. And many of my parents' friends, the daddies were state police officers. And later in the day, after we were getting ready to clean up dinner and get ready to go, the dads would go and put on their state police uniform to go to work. And I just thought, wow, that is the coolest thing ever. And I remember talking to my dad very briefly, dad, could I do that? And my dad's like, absolutely not. He had one girl and sons and I wasn't going to do that. So I was fortunate to inspired by many other people and other careers, and journalism was the path that I took. I graduated from college with a journalism degree and um, started working in broadcast journalism in, in a couple of small markets in Texas for a few years and then wanted to go to grad school but was making a pittance uh, of a salary, which is also a very good learning opportunity for me looking back, having to survive on very little, best times ever. Came back to New Mexico to go to graduate school and ended up uh, being offered a position working for the governor of our state at the time in Santa Fe as his press aide and spokesperson. Another pivotal point in my career, mostly because I had the opportunity to work with amazing public servants and people who really cultivated me. Uh, But that was the time where I, I really came to know that Uh, working in public service is where I wanted to be. I could see some really dedicated people around me who were committed to making our state and our country strong and good, and that was an inspiring opportunity. So during that time, I finished my graduate degree, and then I started working on a PhD, and met some people who played golf and uh, was out on the golf course one day with a a girlfriend of mine and they had paired us up with two random people, one of whom, who I have described many times as an old salty FBI agent. And I'd never met him before, uh, but I started asking him about his job. and, And before I knew it, nine holes we played that day, he convinced me that I needed to go into the local FBI office to ask questions. Coincidentally, The next uh, week in one of my graduate classes, my graduate professor who to this day is a very strong mentor in my life said, come here, I wanna talk to you. There's somebody I want you to meet. I just started a business, a consulting firm with a, a friend of mine who just retired from the FBI. So he hooked me up with another FBI agent who had just retired as the special agent in charge here in New Mexico. So I met with this lovely man, Matt Pettis, the next week had coffee with him and he was all business. He said, write this down. And he gave me all kinds of advice, called the recruiter, set me up for an appointment with the recruiter. I walked into the recruiter's office a couple of weeks later and I thinking, I'm just going to go in and kind of ask some questions because I had already moved away from home for a few years. I love New Mexico. I wanted to be here near my family. And I wasn't really interested in moving. So I went in out of courtesy to these FBI agents and because I was curious and the recruiter who also became a mentor later came to my wedding. I walked out of that FBI office one hour later saying, sign me up. And 10 months (laughs) later, I was at the FBI Academy. So that's kind of how, how I got to the FBI Academy uh, process occurred, not planned but definitely I'm so grateful that that it happened that way.
0: So what did you think this was back in 1996 <clears throat> only 14% of the agents were women back then. I mean what did you think when you got to the academy and you saw all of the different people in our class and you know a lot of people had military backgrounds and law enforcement backgrounds and accountants and attorneys and you were none of those. I mean you came you were, I think you were the only one in our class that had a journalist background, right?
1: Yes. Yes. And you know, I later found, I think it was about 10 years later, I was, I got a call from the undercover unit to do a project for them. And I found that I think there were three people in the bureau at that time, females, who had a journalism type of background or experience. So yes, I I guess I I was naive coming in, admittedly, as far as what kinds of people were going to be there. And I mean, absolutely the most impressive well-rounded people and and like you said many with military backgrounds and police backgrounds yourself included you i just remember thinking look at that beautiful girl and then i i learned that you were in the army and and i thought oh my god she's so tough and You know, I didn't play sports in high school or in college. I I wasn't athletic. The training I had done for the academy had been all on my own. It was before the internet was big, physical training. I did it on my own. And so I was, I felt overwhelmed admittedly when I got there, but that's where you just remind yourself. Uh, mind over matter right i I have to do this i I gave up my job I left my family I'm here, and I cannot fail i will I will do this, but yes, it was overwhelming, but you tell yourself on the first day, I can do this and i I was comforted to i think there were seven women in our class, Gina seven or nine um and they I remember them telling us there's a lot of females in your class, and I'm thinking, really, this is a lot. But it really put things in perspective because I hadn't given a lot of thought to the, the gender component at that juncture um, until you actually get there and you see that you're one of very few.
0: Did you change yourself in any way when you got into that environment? I mean, how did you navigate the male-dominated environment?
1: at the academy or just in general? Um,
0: Well, I think both, you know, I mean, when you first were exposed to it of being the only woman in the room, because more often than not, you know, we were the only women in the room once we left the academy. What were the, the successes and failures that you had just within yourself in navigating being the only woman in the room?
1: I think the biggest thing is just to constantly remind yourself, I can do this, I can do this. I mean, by nature, I'm an introvert. I'm extremely conservative. I'm a highly sensitive person. I don't have the natural athletic capacity that many do. But I also tried to humbly remind myself that I'm here because I I do have a lot to contribute. And I didn't think that my background was that fascinating, honestly. But when I'm around other people, I was reminded that there was a great uniqueness to the perspective and the experience that I would bring to the Bureau. And I reminded myself of that a lot because, you know, you sit in your pod with other agents once you get to your field office and you've got Harvard Law School graduates and you've got these private college uh, master's degreed, you know, individuals. But I reminded myself, the Bureau looks for people like us who come from different walks of life, who have different levels of experience. And I took a great, I took great pride in knowing that I was just bringing my own dimension to the table here. And so I tried really hard not to be intimidated by men or others who came from these worldly experiences that at that point, I, I didn't really have, I had a very humble upbringing, I went to state school, you know, I got a, a, a journalism degree. And, you know, in retrospect, I did have some fabulous experience that I didn't really think of it as fabulous until I got to the academy. And I thought, wow, even yesterday, Gina, you know, it was inauguration and, and the inauguration and watching that and seeing the, the power in having all these presidents and former presidents together, and I reminded myself that I interviewed George Bush, his daddy, George H.W. Bush, in a cornfield in West Texas as a 21-year-old. As a 21-year-old, I graduated from college during a presidential election year. At the time, I didn't realize how fortunate I was to have the opportunity to interview presidential candidates, Michael Dukakis, I met him and talked to him. So it really was not so much about reminding myself that I was, you know, a minority in terms of gender in the room, but reminding myself that we're all part of the same group, and we're all here to bring our own talent perspective experience. And I've talked a lot about the need to not separate ourselves from the men, but to enhance what is already a very powerful chemistry in, in the Bureau and now at the Marshall Service. We bring an incredibly powerful dimension as women, and we don't have to separate ourselves or criticize our male counterparts in any way. We just look at how we can enhance, you know, what already is, I think, a really dynamic environment.
0: I completely agree. And I remember for the longest time when I first came into the FBI, I thought the reason why the FBI hired me was because of my Army background, because I did counterintelligence, because I had all this great training. But I realized that they didn't hire me because of that. They hired me because I know how to solve problems and I have good judgment and I know how to communicate with people and I know how to network. So it's, it's not the skills and the background that we come from. I mean, definitely they want our experiences, but it's really those leadership traits that we come with, but we don't really appreciate those because they come easy to us, but they are Mm -hmm. so, so, so important.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And you're you're right that you don't realize that initially, why you were selected. But as you evolve, and as you grow, you realize, oh, yes, this is why I'm here. And, you know, you mentioned communication. And in terms of leadership traits, I think that is probably the most critical. Um, I know it has been for me. And when we talk about how we can be impactful in our Environment, you know, as a woman, as a leader, I think communication is probably the most critical uh, component there. And I learned a lot about that early on when I first, you know, moved into a formal supervisory position in the bureau. I always preach the idea that we're all leaders. You know, we lead where we stand and it doesn't matter what your title is. I was a GS-13 case agent for most of my FBI career. I didn't promote until my 15th year. And I'm really proud of the 14.5 years that I worked cases. But I always say, you know, I I was a leader. I was still a leader in the Bureau. When I became a, a supervisor, you know, I was actually supervising the team that I had been a part of. So the same squad. So it was a very challenging, interesting transition. I was fortunate that they were all incredibly talented and supportive agents, analysts. But I remember the communication thing. Example, send them all an email. Let me know if you're available to do this. I don't get a response. Mm -hmm. So the next day I thought, oh dear, this is going to be a problem. Nobody responded. Do they not respect me? Was I not clear? So anyway, we had to work through that. And what I learned was a lot of And I'm generalizing here. This is based on my experience. You know, a lot of people, men in this instance, when you ask them, let me know if you're available. If they're not available, they don't respond. And so I I had to condition myself and I had to be sensitive to to their kind of communication. And so when I asked them why, why I didn't get a response from you, did you not get my email? Oh, no, I got it. I got it. I wasn't available, so I didn't respond. So I thought, oh, okay, so that's normal to you, but that's not normal to me. So I had to reframe my expectations, right? And I I learned a lot from that tiny little instance, because it reminded me that we all communicate differently. And as leaders, we have to be very clear about our expectations of people and of our team, and not just in, in terms of communication, but in terms of accountability and responsibility. Here at the Marshal Service, I've had a wonderful opportunity to really learn from a different culture of law enforcement professionals, but it's been a privilege to be able to bring some of the wonderful things I learned from amazing leaders at the Bureau. Know your people, right? So know their strengths and weaknesses and find out how they could best contribute to the team and communicate with them about that. Make sure that they know that you're interested in in knowing where they want to be in five years in the marshal service and and what they want to contribute and where they feel comfortable and where they don't. Because as you know, Gina, not everybody is going to be a powerhouse case agent. Some people are better in the support capacity, right? And we also want to make sure that those who are very, very comfortable don't get complacent. Sometimes they just need somebody to say, okay, you've been you've been good in this role for five or six years, but you've got More in you. So let's take you to the next level. And how do we do that? And that's been one of my biggest honors, challenges and privileges here at the Marshall Services to be able to work with deputies and our administrative employees also to to try to identify their goals and help them reach their professional uh, potential.
0: So let's talk about that for a minute. In our class 9612, all of we had about mm-hmm. 50 people in our class and every year for the last 20 something years, we would have an email on our anniversary in April and everyone yes. would pretty much talk about what they were doing. So here's Sonia, you know, 20 years after we're all eligible to retire and Sonia just says, "Oh, I'm retiring and oh yeah, by the way, I'm going to go and be the United States Marshal for the state of New Mexico." And I just remember, it's like, (laughs) what? (laughs) She's going to do what? And, you know, that's what I love. And that's what impressed me from day one about you is that you are fearless. It's like, sure, I can be the United States Marshal, no problem. So how do you walk into that new high-level position in a male-dominated workforce? And I'm here, everybody. I mean, how does that work exactly?
1: (laughs) Well, let me tell you, it's been a, a process. And first of all, I, I, I received the warmest welcome here. I just, I can't say enough about how incredibly warm and helpful everyone has been. I have had to grow into this position, honestly. Uh, what I have learned, what I learned very early on when I got here was most United States marshals have been agency heads. They've been sheriffs or police chiefs or agency heads from other agencies. And, you know, as you know, I was a mid-level manager at the FBI. So I never led the entire field office or a a section. I was not an assistant director. I I was a, a street agent for most of my career. So I am an anomaly in that way in the marshal service. The other thing I saw early on was that, like, I'm not a, I'm not a young person. I'm Approaching my mid fifties, I started here when I was 51, but most U S marshals are, they're long retired. So they're in their late sixties, some in their early seventies, you have a handful in their, in their fifties. And so, and then as far as women, there are 94 U S marshals. They just swore in uh, the fourth woman, wow. U um, S marshal, So there are four of us right now. Okay. So I, I have that. Essentially, I, the Bureau transferred me over here and the Marshal Service, they embraced me. And I, I say it, I say it often when people say, how are you enjoying your job? I say, you know, I come to work every day with that same first day of school excitement, which tells you, you know, it's, it's just like that first day of school excitement that you still feel every day. You, you have a little nervousness in your gut and you're wondering what's going to what's going to evolve today. But then I also arrive every day feeling like I've been here for 20 years, which tells you that I feel very welcome and very much at home here. So you have to know that the, the FBI office is about five minutes from the courthouse here in Albuquerque. We've worked with the Marshal Service the Bureau and overall a very good re- relationship. And so my my squad, my friends at the Bureau, you're not even gonna miss us, you're gonna like them better. And then when I get over here, Oh, you still love the bureau better. That, you know, like it's the competition, <laughs> of course, all these type A personalities. And sure. I told myself, how am I gonna handle that? And I said, you know, I'm gonna work not to compare. I'm gonna work to so this is how I've characterized it. And even our director, Donald Washington, who is an amazing leader, ha- has has uh repeated it several times. He goes, Tell the group, Sonia, how how you feel about each each of these agencies. And I I say, you know. I love the FBI and I use the word love a lot. Our former director, uh, James Comey used the word love a lot with us, Gina. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's important to remind ourselves of the importance of love in the workplace. And I say, I love the FBI. How could I not? I mean, 22 years, that was the adventure of a lifetime, the relationships, the, the experience, all of it. I love the FBI, but I am in love with the Marshall service Mm -hmm. and it's a different kind of love. It's powerful, but it's different. So that's how I characterize it to these guys. I say guys, I mean these wonderful people. And, and they understand when I say it. My friends at the Bureau, they understand. And my colleagues here at the Marshall Service, when I say I'm in love with the Marshall Service, and they understand exactly what I mean. It's been a, an incredible uh, transition in some ways. I feel like I'm still going through it. But it's also just been the biggest honor to be appointed to serve um, in this capacity because, you know, my FBI career, I, I made a choice at about 10 years in that my husband and I that we wanted to come home and raise our children here with our families in New Mexico and you know, no regrets there whatsoever. But I knew in doing that, I would limit myself as far as climbing the ladder in the bureau. And I've never regretted that. But when you get to the end of your bureau career, you still want to serve and you kind of have hit a wall as far as being able to promote in the field. And so when several amazing people in my life suggested to me that I apply to be the US Marshal, At first I was flabbergasted and confused, like why would I do that? But once I did and I started on that 15 month journey, I learned so much about myself and I learned so much about the people in my life and how they would come to uh, support me and cultivate me and coach me through this incredibly challenging process. Not once until I, I had gone through practically the entire process had someone said to me, Sonia, this is historical. And I said, why do you say that? They said, because the Marshal Service has been around for almost 230 years and we've never had a woman marshal in New Mexico. I guess I knew that, but again, you know, we try not to make the gender thing an issue. We just wanna put forth our best effort and we want to be hired because we're strong leaders and we bring this interesting dimension to the organization but looking at it now I I feel just really humbled and honored a quick little side note I grew up I told you earlier in a very small town and we didn't have cable tv we had three channels my dad used to watch Gunsmoke, and I would watch it with them and um, I was studying up on the marshal service before I came here and there was this one book on, you know, all the Hollywood type perspectives about the marshals and they highlighted all the, the movies about the U S marshals. And, and, but one of them, um, one of the se- segments in this book highlighted Gunsmoke. smoke. I remember calling my mom. I said, Oh mom, I can't believe this. Watching Gunsmoke with dad, Matt Dillon was the marshal, you know, and I knew that, but I hadn't, I hadn't watched Gunsmoke in like 30 <laughs> years. She goes, I said, Matt Dillon was the, the U.S. Marshal. She says, yes, Sonia, he was. And your daddy still watches Gunsmoke every afternoon. <laughs> and she says, and now his daughter is the U.S. Marshal. So my parents, of course, very proud. But that was a, a really uh, special moment there, that, that epiphany, that reminder that Gunsmoke is alive and well in our family.
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh, that is awesome. Well, you demonstrate a really good point because many times when I was leading women, I would say, are you going to put in for that position? And they would say, I don't meet all the requirements. And it's like, there are 50 men who don't meet all the requirements for that job but they're putting in for it and they're not even thinking twice about it. Yes. I think women just sometimes feel they have to meet every requirement or fit the exact mold to be considered for a position before they can make that reach. But for you, you weren't intimidated in applying for this huge position, knowing you can do it. This is the perfect example of that quote, she believed she could, so she did. Where did you learn to be so fearless?
1: You know, I think it comes from a lot of places. Uh first of all, I have an incredible amount of faith in God. I was I was raised that way and I'm I'm so grateful for for that upbringing. But I I give a lot of credit to my parents and my family and I just I am surrounded with this incredible network of of friends. I I mentioned earlier that I don't have sisters. And so I've always cultivated girlfriends and relationships. And I call on my friends. I'm an open book. And when I have a challenge, I call somebody or I ask somebody for help. And I think that's one of the most important things that we need to remember in in, in our lives, in our careers, not just as women, but in a law enforcement environment. It can be dangerous if we allow ourselves or if we don't come forward with reservations or weaknesses or questions or, or challenges because we, or someone else could, could die because we're, we are dealing not to dramatize it, but it's true. We are dealing with these high risk life threatening scenarios every single day. So I have learned to be vulnerable in that way and to ask for help and, I think that kind of grow into that as well. I know that once I turned 50, I felt like I had a license to be more open and vocal about my vulnerabilities and about my mistakes and about the work-life balance. That is a struggle that I had because I was trying to raise a family and young kids and still work 70 hours and be a great agent. And there comes a time where you have to learn to say no to certain things in your work life so that you can be a good mother and be a good wife. My young daughter who is 21 um, said to me just a couple of days ago that her cousin, because um, she had a really good talk with her cousin and she said, Rebecca, one of the things that we need to remind ourselves of as women is when we walk into a room, we want to do it with humility but with confidence and quietly, we say to ourselves, every time we walk into the room, I'm the smartest person in here. I'm the smartest person in here. And I thought, wow, that's really powerful. And for my daughter at her age, you know, she's just starting on her professional life or will be soon to have that kind of insight really spoke to me. So how do we step into this? First of all, I always say we love ourselves and we be ourselves, always be authentic. And I know sometimes it takes a while to learn to be comfortable with who you are. I was not a strong runner. I tell this story, and you know this, Gina. I was always falling behind in the class runs. I remember people like Ray Manna and you circling around and coming. Oh, oh me no! It
0: wasn't me, dear. It was not me.
1: <laughs> well, you, you and I were together a lot. Yes, I we got were. A lot of strength from you. I did get a lot of strength from you. You know, but I, I remember that being the hardest thing for me because I had never run before I got there. I'd run like a mile and a half because we were going to be tested on. No, I'd run two miles because we were going to be tested on two miles i have never run more than two miles in my life, but I I remember thinking the first week we ran six miles on that Friday with Mr. Runkle. I thought I was going to die, but I didn't. The Mm -hmm. next Friday we ran nine miles. I thought I was going to die, but I didn't. And you know, you get through it, you get through it. When I was 37, after having two kids, I ran the Chicago marathon and I'm not saying that to boast. I'm saying it because that's one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life, but I did it. And we do these things because we know we can and we set our mind to it, right? And so those things empower us. And I knew after I ran that marathon that I could do practically anything I set my mind to because I know that I'm not a strong runner naturally, but that showed me that if you discipline yourself and if you decide I'm going to do this, you can do it.
0: That is amazing advice. And, and you know what I love about you because you and I are so similar in this. We never sacrificed our femininity ever. I mean, we were always dolled up every day, hair and makeup every day at the Academy, even the day that we were getting pepper sprayed. uh, I think (laughs) that was like the only time I had ever seen you without makeup and you had ever seen me without makeup, but you know, we couldn't have uh, mascara on because we were about to uh, cry our eyes out. And it's like, you can be vulnerable and you can be ladylike and just go and do it. And, and you wear dresses as the U S Marshal, And I used to wear four French heels every day until I retired from the FBI, not every day when I was mm-hmm. an executive anyway, but that's what I love about you is that, is that you embrace your femininity and you are, you know, that is the way that you lead.
1: And I'm glad you brought that up because that is so important. And especially for young women who are considering a a career in a principally male dominated field. It's just, we have to be ourselves. And I remember being um, assigned to Chicago field office and I thought, oh, they're going to assign me to a white collar squad because I'm a girly girl and I can do my interviews and wear my skirts. And, and I got assigned to a gang task force in, in the Mecca for street gangs in America. Little did I know what an opportunity that would be to develop myself. And of course, you know, all the suits and high heels that I was prepared to be wearing stayed in my closet for the most part, except when I went to, uh, Court or important meetings, and we were wearing you know jeans and hiking boots. That being said, you know, I was the first female on on my on the gang squad, and I was the only girl there for a while and I just thought to myself it's it's not natural for me to dress to i don't wear sweatshirts i don't wear baggy clothes if i'm going to wear have to wear um, casual clothing, I'm, st- I'm still gonna wear what, what defines me, right? And so I don't need to be sloppy. I, I, they, they would call us the knuckle-draggers, you've heard that many times oh, yeah. so, in law enforcement, and they say that many times about the deputies. And I say, well, we can be knuckle-draggers, but we're knuckle-draggers with nail polish. Ah! <laughs> and, and when, <laughs> honestly, and I remember talking to uh, another female agent that came to the, the sister squad, we had two gang squads at the time in Chicago, and uh, she was a phd chemist and uh her first week on the on her squad i saw her transform i literally saw her wear put on these black combat boots and these big jeans and these big jackets i remember talking to her about it and i hardly knew her but i said you know it's really important that we be ourselves mm-hmm. so if you are a, a woman who is comfortable wearing combat boots and leather jackets and baggy clothes, then by all means you wear that, but don't wear that if you're trying to fit in and be one of them, because we are not them and we won't be successful. If we're trying to be them, Mm -hmm. we, we, we're supposed to work with them and they want us to be ourselves too. They will Mm -hmm. value us Mm -hmm. for our authenticity and so I've always been a big uh, proponent of that being yourself thing and c- coming here to the Marshall Service, you know, my last few years at the Bureau, I did wear suits and dresses and high heels most days. And so it was a natural thing for me to maintain that type of dress code. But uh, sometimes I wonder, and I'm a very conservative dresser for the most part, but sometimes I I do wear bright colors and Um, And I think, Oh, I wonder if this is a little too out there for the US Marshal. and then they remind me, you can wear whatever you want. Um, And that's, that's kind of funny for me to be told that but I'm very mindful that, you know, we do set an example in our positions, and certainly here um, in these beautiful federal courthouses that we have in New Mexico, uh, whether it's in Santa Fe or Las Cruces or Albuquerque or Roswell. Farmington, wherever we go, I I am mindful that, you know, I'm setting an example for the for the United States Marshals Service, but also for for all women who who look up to those of us who are in positions where we can um, be impactful and influential and bring others along. I just I really think that it's so important to set an example. And a big part of that is presenting ourselves in a way that is that is real. And if is real and comfortable for us to wear dresses and high heels, then we should embrace that.
0: Oh, I love it. I love it. So last question, although I could speak to you for probably the next five (laughs) hours, (laughs) what piece of advice would you give to the women who are just starting out now and want to follow in your footsteps? What's the best advice you could give?
1: I think the best advice that I can give is, is to be yourself, to know yourself, you know, and to love yourself, honestly. And that sounds very self-serving, but if you know yourself and love yourself, then you can comfortably embrace that. And you will be welcomed into any, any organization, any team, if you are a real person who knows and loves herself because that's what people want. They want authenticity. And sometimes it's, um, you know, it is a process to really know yourself. We're still learning about ourselves every day at our stage at our, at our phase. And this that we're in Gina, I'm sure you can attest to that yourself. You know, we learn something new about ourselves all the time, but as we continue to develop ourselves and move forward in our own journey, I think it's just really important to embrace yourself for for who you are and to know the specific um, strengths and weaknesses that you have. Um, The other really critical part or really critical piece of advice I give is to surround yourself with amazing people and to call on those people and to stay connected to those people. I've always been really, really big on recruiting, you know, when I was at the Bureau and now here at the Marshall Service, I mean, I meet with potential uh, recruits every week here, I invite them in, they sit on my couch, I have a beautiful yellow couch, if you can imagine that. (laughs) And I tell people it's magical. But you know, one of the things that, that I tell them is it's really important for you to stay connected with us here as you go through this process, as you go through the application process. I introduce them to a deputy or two, stay connected with this deputy so that you can ask questions along the way and stay connected with me because I I want to talk you through this along the way. And it's just really important that as we're going through our journey, um, and it sounds lofty that we make connections and cultivate those connections because those people are who make us and who build us. And I am sitting in this beautiful office in this beautiful United States courthouse because I have been surrounded by amazing people who have loved me and who have invested in me. And and part of that is because I have allowed that and I've welcomed that. And so as we identify these young female leaders, we want to just love on them and remind them how important it is to allow themselves to be loved upon. And I use that word, the love thing a lot, but everything is about that. And so we need to remind them that we are here to cultivate them and mentor them and support them and coach them. And that is just one of the biggest, I think, advantages they can offer to themselves is by being open to that and to working it's not hard but they do need to put a little work into finding mentors and be deliberate about it find a person and say will you be my mentor and formalize it it's important for them to do that but that's been one of the biggest assets in my life are the people around me and that's the advice that i would give to those moving forward
0: that is awesome and i'll add to that don't be afraid to ask someone to mentor you because I can tell you, and I'm sure you're the same, Sonia, anybody who reaches out to me, whether it's on LinkedIn or on Facebook and asks me a question or asks me to mentor them, I say yes, because that, Absolutely. that is the best thing ever. I mean, never be afraid to ask someone to mentor you because, because that's what we want to do. I mean, we've earned the wisdom and we want to share it.
1: Absolutely. Yes. We will never say no. And I think sometimes no. people are afraid of rejection. They're like, oh, that person is, you know, has this big old fancy job. I don't want to bother them with this, but it is our honor and yes. it is our responsibility. We have been blessed with these amazing careers. And I, I look at it like, you know, I, I'm approaching what someday soon, hopefully not too soon, but will be the end of this law enforcement career. So the most rewarding thing I can do is coach other people. And I, I love doing that. And I'm a big believer in it because I'm a product of it.
0: That is awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show.
1: Thank you, Gina. It's been a lot of fun. And I, I've enjoyed uh, reminiscing and sharing our stories. I'm so proud of you and, and all your successes. Um, so thanks for having me.
0: I truly value you as a listener and would love to show my appreciation. Visit me at GinaLOsborne.com and I will send you a free ebook called Five Strategies to Navigate a Male-Dominated Workplace. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and are feeling inspired, please subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite listening platform. Lead Like a Lady with Gina L. Osborne is produced and edited by Lisa Osborne. Theme music is Leading Lady by retired IRS criminal investigation attache Clarissa Balmaceda featuring Alex Castillo. Find us on social media through GinaLOsborne.com slash Lead Like a Lady. And don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Lead Like a Lady with Gina L. Osborne wherever you get your podcasts.